0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risks to our country.
2: Freedom brings people together.
1: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome
0: to, we, to the Chris Spangle Show. We are libertarians. Everybody still calls it that. So do I. Uh, <laughs> welcome. It's great to see all of you today. And we will be back after this break to talk about H.R. 1 that was passed this past week in the House and talk a little bit about electoral reform. So stay tuned.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> A real POS you need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person go to shopify.com/ system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today that's shopify.com/ system
1: warning This show is for adults by semi-adults so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said, uh. Welcome to The Chris Spangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent, libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media.
0: Hey guys, welcome to the program. My name is Chris Spangle. It is so good to be with you. My voice is a little, uh, I don't know, I haven't podcasted in like two weeks. I think it's been two weeks. Can you not hear me, Harry?
3: Yeah, I can hear you, but I'm going to like, I don't see any of the... Oh, this sounds bad. I'm looking for live feeds. I don't see any.
0: <laughs> oh, well, that's because we're only on YouTube. Uh, YouTube exclusive today because I have been banned from posting live videos to Facebook for 90 days because of a meme. I think it was a meme I posted in 2018. I don't even remember what it was, but I was just like, are you kidding me? I can't place ads or do live videos on Facebook. So, yeah, it's it's just on YouTube today. Um uh, <laughs> So I found out right before we started, I couldn't even post a premiere video, which is going to cause pains in the butts at work. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. These people are how they are. And we'll move on with our lives. But uh, yeah, I have I have like it's been like two weeks. So my voice is a little groggy. It's not as crystal clear as usual um but it is great to be back it's great to talk to you folks and we're going to talk a lot about election reform today and the bill that was just passed in the house hr1 the for the people act and anytime any congress passes a bill that says it's for the people bend over so without further ado let's introduce our co-host for this episode it is harry price how are you
3: going good going good um Moving some more things around here in the office. I actually have one of my lights actually working. Um, I actually have electricity on this wall now, so they have one light plugged in, not the second one yet. So, so. and Reinhold, how are you?
4: I'm doing all right, except uh, it's been a fun week dealing with uh, transit companies, as it were, so trying <laughs> to get things delivered. I've got my like de- my office is like half destroyed to be rebuilt equipment was supposed to be here it's not here it's a mess
0: yeah you got a bum so, desk uh, from amazon didn't you
4: yeah well i got i was supposed to get a desk it was supposed to come in two pieces i got one piece of it then they sent me another box that was the exact same so the other half of it's still on its way here last time i checked it was in texas so <laughs> i hate I don't know why it two weeks to get here but
0: I have like 9 million books from ebay.com coming next week. So I just sit there and I click refresh on the shop app. I'm like, come on, when are you going to get here? Um, <laughs> I, I hate like watching a package where you're just like, come on, come on. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've
4: got all the lights and a whole setup ready to go. But I need that desk to put it to because this desk I have right now, it won't work on. So it's uh, it's been
3: frustrating.
0: Harry, I was going
3: to say. Yeah, well, I was going to say. Like after this week, it proves why you need those hard bound copies of books. And don't have things online, or just think, well, I'll just buy it later. No, if you want that book, you probably should buy it now. Yeah, Start local, have it before it gets <laughs> you might canceled. Not get it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, we we typically
0: try to choose the subject that everybody's talking about, and I just don't think we can do that in, anymore as a program because. I don't care. <laughs> like I'm in a I'm in a weird mood. It's like I'm not burnt out on politics because I like I'm having a fun reading. I like you know, looking at HB1 and all that stuff, but like Dr. Seuss didn't get canceled. But you would it, it's you know, I was having a conversation with Brian Nichols, which everybody go download our other shows on the network. The Brian Nichols show, he's doing great work, three episodes a week, interviewing great people from within the the Liberty Movement, and uh, Remzo Martinez with On the Run. It's such a fun, uh, obscure show. Uh, Brian McWilliams of Lions of Liberty, another great podcast to download, said that uh, it's like the George Lopez show on, I think he said, Angel Dust. (laughs) Um, And then uh, Gingerarchy with Trisha Stewart Mann. She's doing well. She had some surgery yesterday. So please, if you're the praying type, make sure you pray for our friend Trisha. She's had a, a rough year and has just been uh, phenomenal in how she has handled all of it. Um, But, you know, I was talking with Brian about the Republican Party because he doesn't like when I say that the Republican Party is wholly and totally, completely useless at this point. And he says, well, what about school choice? And he's right. Like, there are things that are being done by Republicans that are good things, right? But a lot of that is because it's still because of the institutions that were built by the previous generation. Uh, uh, Mitch Daniels or, uh, you know, praise be his name. Um, If he starts a party, I will follow you, Mitch. Um, But, you know, some of that stuff is still continuing because there's existing institutions. But when you look at what Republicans care about now as a base – it is Mr. Potato Head and Coca Cola and race. It's race. Like, they, for all the talk about how much they uh, don't think racism exists and don't want to talk about it, it's all they talk about. It's just missed. It's gender, race, issues of, of it's just manning. Like, I, I looked at it, I was like, you know, maybe the Seuss Foundation made a mistake in mentioning that they were discontinuing these six books. Just, just just disappear them, stop publishing them, and then you don't. You, but maybe that was their point because outrage marketing is a thing. You know, you, you let it leak that you have uh, your diversity training. Say you're, you're uh, two you know, white people be less white. Next thing you know, you get 9 million hours of free advertising. The, the Dr. Seuss books got 126 mentions in 12 hours on Fox News three days ago. And that's not I saw an exception.
4: I saw somewhere saying that uh, on Amazon's top 50 sellers right now, I think 42 of them are Dr. Seuss books.
0: Right, because Dr. Seuss has not been canceled. It's just they've decided to voluntarily discontinue three books, six books, excuse me. Right. Because they lit, like the images in them, it was like one or two images in each book, but they were absolutely racist. Like there's no doubt about it. And Dr. Seuss himself probably would have been for this because Mm -hmm. you know when you look at dr seuss's um track record which i'll pull up here dr seuss wrote some really racist stuff Uh, he worked for the united states government as a propagandist during uh world war ii and he wrote the he wrote these uh he wrote 800 uh, drew 800 cartoons for the american public as war propaganda to get them to uh, basically be okay with doing whatever they wanted to to the Japanese. Uh, So in 1953, Theodore Geisel goes to uh, Japan. uh, Excuse me, he cranked out 400 cartoons that uh, praised FDR's policies of internment, chided isolationists like Charles Lindbergh, and supported civil rights for blacks and Jews. He also staunchly supported America's war effort. And so then he goes to um Hiroshima in 1952 and sees the results of of his work and completely atones for it. Listeners who listen to the Dignity Revolution uh podcast heard about this. And then so as a response he wrote Horton here's a who talking about how every person has worth. Um Horton Hears a Who. This is from OpenCulture.com. Horton Hears a Who, published in 1954, is about an elephant that has to protect a speck of dust populated by little tiny people. The book's hopeful, inclusive refrain, a person is a person no matter how small, is about as far away as you can get from his ignoble words about the Japanese a decade earlier. He even dedicated the book to my great friend Mitsugi Nakamura of Kyoto, Japan. So... He showed the capacity for change, and that is the point of culture, is that it is fluid, it changes, things change, times change, images change. The Republican Party seems to not want to have that conversation whatsoever and thinks that the only conversation to be had is about Dr. Seuss being canceled. And frankly, if like your culture demands that you read your kid racist cartoons, then you don't really have a great culture. So... But, like, this is the topic of conversation on my Facebook. I don't know about you guys, but all over my social media is Dr. Seuss. Not anything else. And I just can't, like, I don't care anymore, right? Like, I'm sorry that I'm not offended that, like... You know, Dave Smith tweeted out something, although I think he meant it in the reverse that maybe I meant it, but he was totally right. It's like, it's gotten to the point where you're offended. If you're not offended by the things I'm offended by, I'm offended at you for it. And he's totally right. It's just like, I don't care about Dr. Seuss. I think you're ridiculous for talking about it. This is not a hill to die on and not for nothing. But Republicans, you have a demography issue. It's killing your party. It's why you have lost credibility. It's why you're going to be a continue to be a minority party, which is why we're having the conversation about electoral reform we are. And you can say you're not racist all you want, but I don't know. If I were a, a person of color looking at uh one of my Facebook friends arguing that the the cartoon with the the native with the bone in his nose isn't racist, I'd go, Ah, that guy seems pretty racist. <laughs> Just seems so like why are these the hills we're starting to die on? Like, are we all bored? Are we missing Trump that bad? Like, what is the point? I don't get it, uh, and I just don't care about any of this. I don't want to talk about it more than the first this first five minutes. But it it just it's uh, it seems like the the whole cancel culture conversation has gotten to a point of absurdity, absurdity. Mm-hmm. Like it's there are legitimate like all of these things like people take it to extremes. Like there is some legitimate. Concerns like if you are a student who tweets something out in middle school and then can't get into Harvard, that's ridiculous. That's BS. Um, But a, a company voluntarily deciding not to publish six of their own works is not an outrage to me. Um, So I don't know. H- Harry Reinhold weigh in
3: quickly and then we're going to move on to important things. <laughs> <laughs> Books stop being published all the time. It happens. And then books can be picked up to be published, you know, after a while, this kind of thing happens. It's normal process. And what happens with books, um, on the day they announced it, um, some people was like, I don't like the day they announced it. Oh, that's perfectly fine with that. They sure they, they actually the, – the foundation met what they said. They took a popular day and said, this is what we're doing, and, and they moved forward. Well,
0: it was national, like it's reading week or something to do that the Seuss mm-hmm. Foundation helped start, and in the mm-hmm. early days, it was all Dr. Seuss books, and it was sort of a way for them to sell Seuss books. And so now it's kind of that movement has taken on a life and said, hey, we're not only – like one school got – called out for canceling i forget what it was somewhere in virginia or or, i don't know somewhere out east and they were like well we're we're going to de-emphasize seuss and include other books well then ben shapiro's website which what you have to understand about the right press is they're financial they're financially incentivized to get you to click on the stuff that makes you mad specifically the things that keep you from reading their competition so they will always talk about the the depravity of the mainstream press because you shouldn't listen to them and only listen to us because that's better for our business model. You know, it's it's the same reason that the mainstream press does that to Ben Shapiro. Don't listen to Alex Jones or them. We want you listening to us so we can monetize you. So you always have to, like, remember every link that you click is all about incentivizing. By the way, join uh, wallplus.com. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you always have to remember that there is a financial motivation underneath all of this stuff. And so when, you know, the, the Daily Wire blazes headlines about Seuss being canceled in a school, and then the school comes out and says, no, that's not what we're talking about. That's, you know, the Daily Wire didn't update their story with that. Um, you know, now you're getting stories of Seuss being pulled from the shelves of libraries. Well, Sherry Charlo, uh my library pulled them from circulation because of theft potential. People steal in hopes of selling for big bucks. Doesn't matter if eBay and Amazon said they won't list such items, still needed. We have a friend who just sold one of these books for $110 on eBay before they banned it. You know, so that's why libraries are pulling this stuff. You know, it's the the narrative cannot be it's you always have to remember that pushing a narrative is is, it's like the covid stuff, right? Like people are pushing. Well, you can't live your life after you get the vaccine because we still need you to be afraid of it. Okay, well, no, (laughs) because you latently want power over my decision making. and That's not the point of the vaccine. The vaccine is supposed to give people who are at risk the freedom to live their life as I've been living my life for about a year now, you know, and that's that's the goal. That's what we want, right? So narratives, um, in public opinion, you need to really break those down and question all of those, including the ones that kind of fit your worldview, you know. So as as a uh, uh, white male Christian conservative leaning person here in the Midwest, it's like. How dare them libs take my Dr. Seuss? Like, I get all mad about it initially, and then I read it, and I'm like, oh, there, there's common sense here. Okay. You know, and I have to
3: calm myself down, Harry. Yeah. Yeah. But but your Dr. Seuss books, honestly, the only thing that upset me is that, like, I didn't have one of these books to sell. That's, <laughs> that's the thing that upset
1: me. <laughs> I
3: can't a- find my Doge wallet. I didn't have these Dr. Seuss books. I'm just done. all right carrie
0: carrie asks and i'm gonna throw this to reinhold the fact that the company felt like they had to stop publishing these books is what's concerning to me um that and that is a very real uh, like honest objection to this that i've seen that i go okay i see some merit in that argument how do you respond to that
4: well first of all you have to you have to not assume why they're deciding not to publish it anymore so It could just, they say, and this is what their press release said, was that they decided to take a look at the inventory, uh, have some people analyze it, look it over, make a decision, and decide if they should do this or not on their own. This wasn't somebody, this wasn't, wasn't people trying to hold their feet to the fire. This wasn't them being pressured into it. This is something they made a decision on their own. A great example of something similar to this is there was a TV show called Scrubs. Right. And the the person who created that TV show, Bill Lawrence, uh, last year uh, they were doing so they're doing like a rewatch podcast uh, mm-hmm. with the two leads from the show. And Bill Lawrence, who created it, is also on the show a lot. So they were doing these rewatch episodes and he watched an episode that he saw that he said 20 years ago he thought was kind of funny, but borderline. And now he doesn't he doesn't think it's appropriate. it was a blackface thing. Um, and so what he did was he called up the people who show the show and the DVD makers and everything else. He said, I want that episode pulled from the catalog. I don't want to be able to be watched. I don't want it to be on the DVDs. I don't want anybody to have it anymore because I don't want that to be out there. And it was his creation to do. He did this on his own because his views changed over so many years. So, it, you know, if the people who are creating it or the people who own the rights to it are looking at it and genuinely saying, "I, I don't think this is appropriate anymore," I just don't want to make money off of it anymore. I, I don't see where the where the problem is there. This is not the same as people storming the doors of the Seuss Foundation saying, "You have to do this, or we're going to shut you down," and um, in their own way canceling. You know, right? Which Seuss, would which, which would be a happened.
0: totally different thing in that if. Right you know private force you know persuasion you know is can be good or bad right like it's a it's a more like if the government is telling you that you can't do something as we'll talk about later that's inherently immoral and wrong if it's a large group of people boycotting something and then one group pressuring another group, that's a different thing, right? Like there's, there's some complexity there that, that you have to, you can choose a side or not choose a side. I think for me, looking at this as a content creator who has almost 20 years in the business of creating content, talking into a microphone, um, I can tell you that there are points, as we kind of touched on with the episode with Dion, like in, in talking, how we talked about and to Harry, for instance, um, is like there's a reason I put that stuff behind the paywall because I've grown as a person and now understand, you know, now that I I take concerns of other people more clearly, but like because like I'm the type of person who thinks I'm right and then someone says you're wrong and then I go, you don't know what you're talking about and I go, but no, you're wrong and then I start listening. Um, And so, you know, other people in my life have kind of gone, hey, this – mode of thinking that you have because when i watch married with children i go that's how i think that's how i thought about women right like you want to know how i thought about women in my 20s watch married with children because that was my cultural influence right and as i got more female friends and started dating and like have had serious relationships. Like you can't treat women and talk about women the way that Al Bundy did because that was entertainment. Right. You know? And so, but I had to be edited basically by the people in my life saying, this is not how you're going to treat me or else we can't have a relationship. Uh, And I think the expansion of, of empathetic conversation around racist tropes of misogynistic tropes, you know, homophobic, transphobic tropes like I, I I don't know why that's a bad thing. I don't know why an understanding of other people's experiences and then you getting to hear that out and choose how you move forward is a bad thing. Uh it it if you don't want anything to ever change, well then of course it's a bad thing. And I think it comes down to the progressive versus the conservative world views. Um conservatism is supposed to mean conserving the natural rights tradition free markets individualism self-government you know many of the things that we talk about on this show and many things that libertarians believe that's what conservatism is supposed to be but i think if you're an outsider who is not a conservative and you look at the modern conservative movement it's about conserving white culture racist cartoons I don't want Coke to do this or that. These people can't make this choice because it makes me uncomfortable. And it just sort of crowds out the – it it diminishes the credibility that conservatives have then to pitch self-government, free markets, and other things. And so where I – if it seems like I'm critical of the right, it's two things. It's that, and then I think that they make arguments that make our job harder as libertarians when we try to – Um, talk about conserving and preserving self-government because they're so distracted with things that are abhorrent or wrong or conspiracy-based. You know, and it looks, it's like Dion said in in the show a couple weeks ago, what are you conserving? Because Dion's not a conservative and he's confused about what is actually being conserved here and what is the priority because... When Dion and I talk about my worldview, which is liberal, classically liberal, um, Deirdre McCloskey has a great new book out on liberalism that I highly recommend. You know where it's it's building space for every group of people to self actualize, to reach their own potential, to to live free and in harmony and peace with each other through voluntary exchange. That's not the message that. A Dion gets from a lot of libertarians and conservatives a lot of time because we're arguing things that are that that are gross. <laughs> like we're not arguing for liberalism; we're arguing for majority. You know, like just something like, else. Just, I, I uh, don't even know. You know, yeah.
4: it's just like how the Republicans have kind of twisted conservatism. The you know, the Democrats have twisted liberalism, right? Liberalism right. was supposed to be also protecting individuals and individual rights and making society better and improving it as time, you know, as we move along. Um, cause we started off like, you know, we started off with a, a country that, um, was, was very, you know, had slavery in it and mm-hmm. was, it was very, you know, not inclusive to women and, and, and other people like that and immigrants and things. And as society progressed, and lib- and liberal beliefs took hold we fixed a lot of those things so that's that was the idea of liberalism is trying to fix those ine- inequalities one and, group should not academia. dominate another right mm-hmm. right everybody it should be an individualist type of thing and then the progressive movement came through and kind of twisted what liberalism means that's why when libertarian party started it w- and the term libertarian was actually you know adopted Uh, from left anarchists. Mencken started popularizing
0: libertarian knock in the FDR years because FDR started stealing liberal, but it goes to the other side, which is progressivism, which is, you know, ever expanding um, society of freedom and rights based on more technical and scientific measurement, as opposed to preserving tradition and things you like. Right. Um, you know but progressivism has kind of sunk into we need to to perfect society we need to use laws and that is inherently flawed and immoral in and of itself because it just creates the same sort of class divisions as as you know you see with with the the other side the other extreme and so libertarians stand in the middle and go if you don't like Dr. Seuss or you like Dr. Seuss, you can buy it or not. They have the freedom to um, sell it or not. You have the right to sell it. You, If you can't sell it on eBay, then go on Macari or – you know, like none of this matters because it doesn't relate to how the the individual and the state interact, right? So I think we've, it, we've gotten a little too far in, in our conversations because I think Republicans to – to get over the hump, it, electorally, think that they have to gin up cultural war issues. Uh, it, this started in '92 with Buchanan. They really need to drive the culture war to drive votes, because issues like gun control or other issues, it just doesn't it doesn't have the same juice that it used to. Not even five years ago, not ten years ago. You know, you know they have, as we have articulated on this program from the beginning. The last five years, the Republican Party has gone from conserving those values we talked about earlier to playing pure power politics, where we need to wrestle for the, the gun of the state to put it to their head. Because if we don't, they're going to put it to ours. And you see that in the messaging of the Trump campaign, which is if you don't elect me, then Harry's going to move into your neighborhood. And what might happen to your daughter then? They're coming, they're all coming. They're coming to take your guns, like, and so, what? What is the libertarian to? How should we think about all this stuff? Sort of with a shrug, because all of this is is, is there's someone, uh, who, someone has a right to look at an image and say, I find this offensive. Hey, Dr. Seuss, think better. Uh, Dr. Seuss Foundation, do better. And then the Seuss Foundation can then make a decision of how do we approach this? How would Seuss approach this? Then they look back to him canceling himself within 10 years, you know, like writing racist things in 1943 and then completely turning around and saying, I need to be a better person 10 years later uh, in 1953. Um, And then you have a right to be outraged by them not selling it anymore, I guess. But to me, I, I, I don't. I just don't get why you would be. I don't. These are like if you were canceling Cat in the Hat, then maybe because I've read Cat in the Hat or Hop on Pop or whichever one of these like other books that like I, I've never heard of these six titles. There's 60 other books that you can buy, 54 other titles that you can buy. Like Reinhold said, 57 of the top 60 spots. You know, so just yeah, I think there's some some illustrations of of all the of what's going on, but I, I just think. When we focus on the culture war stuff, yes, maybe you can drive that to electoral success. Maybe the Libertarian Party can carve out a share of the Republicans' hide and gain some voter share by focusing on the culture war and driving it. But you you risk alienating you know. It's like the the, the Republicans need to chase after the Obama Trump voter, who is the uh, like the the working class white voter with a college education there's 8 million of those people that's that's it there's 8 million in america and you risk alienating a multitude of other millions of people <laughs> when you when you focus on that one sl- small segment and so everything's a trade off when you when you decide what you're going to focus your attention on you're you're trading off one group or another and i think if if conservatives and libertarians continue to traffic in the culture wars they're going to lose a lot of people like our our listeners in my opinion um you know suburbanites largely white college educated folks who are are, are anti racist in a lot of ways you know not, not i wouldn't say woke but are not uh not going to go out there and die on that hill for that racist dark doctor seuss cartoon um are willing to listen and learn and grow a little bit uh so best of luck to all of you but uh <laughs> i i just don't find that to be a winning strategy all right final thought on this all right well let me say uh before we start i want to thank all the members of wall plus as you are the reason that the show exists uh, and you can support the show by visiting joinwallplus.com, w-a-l-plus.com, and we'll learn all of the great benefits of subscribing. Thank you especially to our $100 a month members, John Pusilo, Casey Feldposh, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Reinhold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. Thank you to every Wall Plus subscriber for keeping the We Are Libertarians podcast network thriving. All right, thank you so much for joining us here on the Chris Spangle Show. And today we're going to talk about H.R. 1, and this is called For the People Act. Now, Harry, whenever you hear a bill, a piece of legislation, wide-encompassing legislation is for the people,
3: what do you think? Well, I, I naturally think the government's here to help us. You know, <laughs> I, I don't think there's no double speak or backward ends in anything, so everything should be okay.
0: Okay, so there are some good parts to this, and there are some not so good parts to this. And so, what I want to do first is tell you what is in the bill, and then we can break it down. We'll, we'll here we're we're going to break it down in in our classic formula. Here's what's in the bill. Here's what's everybody's saying about it, and here's what we think about it. And we'll pause along the way. So, this was originally introduced by John Sarbanes. Uh, a Democrat on January 3rd, 2019. And the House passed the bill back, back in March 8th by a party line vote. And the House Democrats reintroduced it in January of this year. And according to the summary of HR1, what is the Double Speak Dictionary, Harry?
3: It's the Double Speak Dictionary, your guide to. Userism differs from the other linguistic conveniences of the state. All right. Well, you want to articulate that a little more? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a big dictionary on um, du- like double speak words that you'll find in bills like this. It's a good dictionary. So when they say certain words, it helps you understand things like um, foreign affairs, a zero sum game in which our aggressors elicit equal responses from aggressive foreign interests.
0: Perfect. Well, as we talk through this, flip through there and let us know what is in the book that that, that we hit on here. So the bill addresses voter access, election integrity, security, and campaign finance and ethics for the three branches of government. So specifically, the bill is going to address – it expands voter registration, automatic and same-day voter registration, uh, and voting access – example vote by mail and early voting and it also limits removing voters from the voter rolls it would create a new national automatic voter registration that asks voters to opt out rather than opt in so essentially the federal government would automatically register everyone to vote somehow um requires chief state election officials to automatically register eligible unregistered citizens let me read that again eligible unregistered citizens um Requires each state to put online options for voter registration, correction, cancellation, or designating party affiliation. It requires at least 15 consecutive days of early voting for federal elections. Early voting sites would be open for at least 10 hours per day. The bill also prohibits from restricting a person's ability to vote by mail and requires states to prepay postage and return envelopes for mail-in voting prohibits voter roll purging and bans the use of non-forwardable mail being used as a way to remove voter from rolls, restores voting rights to people convicted of felonies who have completed their sentences. The bill requires states to establish independent redistricting commissions to carry out congressional redistricting. Additionally, the bill sets forth provisions related to election security, including sharing intelligence information with state election officials, supporting states in securing their election systems, and developing a national strategy to protect U.S. Democratic institutions, establishing the legislative branch, the National Commission to Protect the United States Democratic Institutions, and other provisions to provide cybersecurity of election systems. They don't say what a U.S. Democratic institution is. I presume that means a state, local, or federal body, but... Does the New York Times count as a U.S. Democratic institution? I'm sure they define that in the bill, but uh, you know it is 800 pages that you can read over in our show notes. All of this will be up there, so if you want to check back on the show notes later. Thank you to Sam Schultz, by the way, for putting the great show notes together, our head researcher here at the show. Further, the bill addresses campaign finance, including expanding the prohibition on campaign spending by foreign nationals requiring additional disclosure of campaign-related fundraising and spending, requiring additional disclaimers regarding certain political advertising, and establishing an alternate campaign funding system for certain offices. It establishes public financing of campaigns powered by small donations. So this is a big change, sort of. So there is something called public financing. Back in the early 60s, Congress put together the public financing system. I don't remember the Tempest and the Teapot that put this together, but they were concerned about money in the presidential races and put together the campaign finance system. And it um it uh it basically you check a box when you filed your taxes for a dollar at the time, now it's three dollars, that says, I want to donate to the public financing system. And then if a presidential candidate raised a certain amount of small donations, they would, they would be able to access in the primary the public financing system. This is how Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan became president. Because Jimmy Carter in, and Ronald Reagan in their primaries Access those public funds, and were able to turn their campaigns into a force. In 76, for Reagan specifically, he ended up losing to Gerald Ford, but it set the, the template for 1980. And so these guys aren't going out and pursuing corporate donations. They're raising money. They're getting their money from the taxpayers that have voluntarily chosen to participate in this system. This works until Barack Obama in 2008. And I heard one Democrat uh, campaign consultant say this is the worst thing that Barack Obama ever did as president was in 2008, he opted out of this financing because he could make way more money. I mean, the, I think the 2016, when I was looking at it, it was like $600 million for the candidate each. <laughs> mm. And both of them opted out of it uh, in 2008 Uh, I think McCain stayed in it, and then um, Romney opted out of it, and that was the end of the financing system when Barack Obama decided to leave it. And so now, it's off to the races with dark money, which is contributions from corporations and PACs that is completely uh, non-transparent. And Uh, And then – so now they want to introduce something that kind of does the same thing for Congress, Senate, adds it on for senators, and for the president as well. And so this public financing system would be a voluntary six-to-one match for candidates for president and Congress, which means for every dollar a candidate raises from small donations, the federal government would match it six times over. And so the maximum small donation that could be matched would be capped at $200. Uh, so for instance, a house candidate could garner a $1,200 match in public funds for a total contribution of $1,400. The money would come from a 4.75% fee on criminal and civil fines, fees, penalties, or or settlements with banks or, and corporations that commit corporate malfeasance. Uh, the CBO estimated this week that the new revenue stream would add about 3.2 billion over 10 years. Um, so it's called the Freedom from Influence Fund. <laughs> um is that in your double speak uh diary there? Probably. Okay. <laughs> uh so it uh the proceeds from these additional corporate settlement assessments would be deposited into the Freedom from Influence Fund created under the legislation. This would bankroll new smaller da- dollar match programs for congressional candidates and enhance six to one campaign finance match program for presidential candidates and a new pilot program that would incentivize voters to make campaign contributions. This is specifically where the Republicans are kind of weighing in, saying this this is meant to benefit Congress people. Um, The bill would support a constitutional amendment to end Citizens United. It would also pass the Disclose Act, which would require super PACs and dark money political organizations to make their donors public. It would pass the Honest Ads Act, which would require Facebook and Twitter to disclose the source of money for political ads on their platforms and share how much money was spent. Discloses any political spending by government contractors and target shell companies, restructures the federal election commission to have five commissioners instead of six um right now and there can be no more than two on this um of either party the bill addresses ethics in all three branches of government and they're requiring a new code of conduct for supreme court justices guess why that exists stops members from of of congress from using taxpayer money to settle sexual harassment and discrimination cases gives the Office of Government Ethics the power to do more oversight and enforcement and implementing stricter lobbying requirements. Um, so it also would require a president and vice president and certain candidates to disclose 10 years of tax returns. Um, so, you know, always in these bills they have the promote integrity which is always the funniest part of any bill is the seg this you know in the Obamacare Act there was the integrity section. There's always a integrity in all the congressional bills, um, which makes me laugh. So, so let's just kind of go through this summary sheet and and kind of break down some of what we think about some of this stuff. So for improving access, it expands access to the ballot box by taking aim at institutional barriers to voting. This is from Sarbanes Fact Sheet including cumbersome voter registrations, disenfranchisement, and limiting voting hours. Um, HR will create automatic voter registration across the country, ensure that individuals who have completed felony sentences have their full voting rights restored, expand early voting and enhance absentee voting, simplify voting by mail, reduce long lines and wait times for voters, and modernize America's voting system. There's one glaring thing here for me. And that mm-hmm. the federal government does not have the power to dictate to states how their oper- their elections are to be run, and it's in the Constitution, um, which will in the Republican response, I'll I'll explain that in a moment. But I don't want the federal Congress can't tell all fifty states how their elections are to be run, what they ought to do. There's some things in here like full rights for for felons. I totally agree with that. Every felon who is not currently imprisoned should have their rights restored for voting and for gun rights. Mm-hmm. And so, like, once you've served your time, that was the time that you served, and then you move on with your life. Um, the reason that felons can't vote is because it's a way to suppress the black vote. Yeah. Um, now, so much of the conversation is something that I my, my butthole, my little old-school Republican center-right butthole would have puckered at in that, Republicans don't try to keep minorities from voting. That's such a myth. Until they all told us that's exactly what they were doing in all of 2020. So now I don't believe any of you and I'm not on your team anymore. Um, and there there has to be some counterweight, right? Um, so, you know, part of what the, the Voting Rights Act was about is that you had states not respecting the civil rights of their of their voters and so the federal government had to restore liberty to to blacks in the south because remember if you couldn't register to vote and there were zero voter registrations for blacks in most of the southern states in 1960 when your grandparents were alive okay if you're a millennial um and when you didn't have the ability to register to vote you couldn't serve on a jury which means you couldn't get a fair trial because none of your peers were on the trial you 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 know so all of justice was thrown off by keeping um blacks from having the they couldn't be represented so you had real systemic oppression in the in the uh, south in the 60s and so the voting rights act was meant to use the power of the federal government to liberate people from states that were denying liberty from people mm-hmm. um how so so it that's that's a delicate thing right reinhold uh, i think you're the one trying to hop on here um but i don't think that the federal government should tell us in indiana that we ought to have automatic voter registration and nor do i think that they have the constitutional power to um ensure you know early alliance like there's 38 states already that have early voting so It'll catch on eventually. The, the marketplace of states will eventually have all 50 states. Why should the federal government be involved in telling these states how to operate their elections?
4: So they shouldn't. So the way it's set up is that the the states decide who who has the vote and who doesn't and how they're going to elect their representatives. That's pretty solid. You shouldn't be able to touch that. The problem comes into when those states do implement something in such a way that violates the rights of certain groups of in the, certain people. Right. So that's why the civil rights act come in. So it's kind of like the, the old, um, the old argument about uh, same sex marriage was that, you know, government shouldn't be telling people who can get married, but if they are doing it, they have to do it in a certain way. And the federal government has that oversight on how the States are implementing their laws to make sure that they're not violating the civil rights of this of the um, uh, citizens of their state while those are being implemented. So, if if uh, you know, let's say Kentucky decides to put a law out that says, you know, we won't let anybody with brown eyes vote. Well, that's going to be a violation, right? So, you, I mean, you can't do that sort of thing, and that's that's where the federal government. Can get in only on that caveat that it's protecting the rights of how they of the citizens based off how they're implementing those laws, but they can't tell the states how to implement those.
0: Decisions. Right. So, so for instance, one uh, one part in here is um, uh, so one practice that states will use, specifically Georgia, by the way, um, which is why it's so hilarious that uh, you know when Brian Kemp was Secretary of State they would purge voter rolls and they would send out non-forwardable notices. So they'd send something to an address and if it would bounce back to them, they'd say this person wasn't registered to vote anymore and they'd send them in black communities and it wouldn't be, you know, you can mark your mail when you send a piece of mail forward, forward service requested. So you can send that mail. If you're doing direct mail, you want to mark that because then it'll go to the next person. And so, Tens of thousands of people in Georgia were removed from the voter rolls, specifically in minority communities, and showed up to vote because they didn't check, and they were removed because they had moved. Um, That's pretty sneaky and, and shitty, uh, <laughs> you know, and they're you know, here in Indiana, they purge voter rolls, they clean up the Mm -hmm. database. So if this person has died, for instance, they'll take them out of the voter rolls. But for the 6 million entries, you know, the six and a half million Hoosiers, there's 12 million entries in a voter database. When I was pulling the voter database from the Secretary of State 10 years ago, you know, you had 12 million entries. What's the point? in? what's the problem with having 24 million? 30 million in the age of databases that can you know that they say we need to clean the database because it's unwieldy but like it's 2021 at this point it's not 2004 why why you know tell me if i'm wrong on that nerd boys
4: i still remember going to vote not too long ago and them having to pull up the big paper log and scroll to the name and stuff like that now the last time I voted, that wasn't the case. They did it all through computers, but um, that, that was always a kind of a fun thing that, that we were still back in the days that the paper stuff. So um, I don't see a problem with it. I think everybody, to be honest, it, if you know, I had my say, I think every citizen should be able to vote automatically. No, you don't have to register. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just, you can vote because you're a citizen, but that's just me.
0: So well, I think the uh, registration process is an important check on election security. I mean, checking those signatures, matching the signatures on both an in-person or in a, in a mail-in vote, that's that's that, how they do election security.
4: Right, but matching signatures is not really accurate. I mean, people – Okay, Donald Trump. I don't have the same signature every time I sign something. If I If they were to match my signature to what I signed on my whatever voter registration card from 20 years ago – it wouldn't match. I mean, that's that's kind of – I don't think it's in a very good, precise way of doing it. Yeah, but how would you like, how go, would
0: you keep people from voting twice if you don't have registration?
4: Well, what happens is, is you have the systems, the computer systems, that when someone votes, they've locked the register that they voted. And in, that tells all the other systems when they go – if they were to go try some – vote somewhere else again, it would just block and say, nope, that person's already voted. Can't do it.
3: No, Simple. so like based off like your like uh your state ID number. You scan your state ID number. This ID gets flagged in the database, and it's voted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which would work, but you'll also need to clean that de- database up quick because making that many edits at once in the same day would drive whatever crazy service. I, I feel
0: like you minutes. know here's the part of where cons- the here's a part of conservatism that appeals to me. Sometimes the old ways based on generations of practice, have perfected a system and you don't need to go changing it just because you big government progressives need to, you know, like registrations and signatures and this stuff is working well. Why change it for, for your newfangled systems?
4: You're making the assumption that it works well. Yeah.
0: I <laughs> am making the assumption because it does. It,
4: mm, there, there are some there are some issues that that should be addressed that's the problem right so i mean look what happened last year every you know everybody went crazy about all the you know who's a vote what's a vote that sort of thing and it's mm-hmm. I, I think you in the same way that you don't want to put somebody in jail if you're not 100 sure that they should be in jail should we be blocking people from voting unless we're 100 sure they shouldn't be voting right at what point <laughs> Do you do you make that decision,
0: Harry?
3: You're going to weigh in. Well, it's that yeah that 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 choice there too because you want to be able to make sure people can vote in this little clubhouse that they have created. The other thing with it is that you're also like holds the assumption like these are the best minds of database making databases make has the best system and all these places are interconnected and they have great internet connection to send everything back in these data in real time and they've got a great server that will cache all this and you know and keep all that updated they, they don't they don't i think the way they register into county actually helps speeds up the information and actually and does help that be, help better check because you have to register for that county so they know this id is going to vote into that county it's you're right it is part of security and understand like how, how this database needs to function here's, here's people what, just randomly showed up and here's where both voting.
0: sides go off the rails on on this stuff because i don't know which side you argue. you know the trump all this got stolen or you know republicans are trying to keep every person from voting or which extreme you're coming from but you know people make these claims that this system is completely and totally unfair and It's just not like if you go and participate in the system and you watch and work as closely with the electoral system as I have sitting for hours on end working with them in the election division working with candidates across the state like as a reporter observing election counts recounts as close as three votes and 14 votes like the way that the system has been designed over the course of generations especially over the last 40 years. As security has been a, a, an important part, like this is not like eighteen hundred forty seven where we 're holding up a chicken and the crowd's cheering one way and the you know holding up a, a, a whatever in the other way right like the way that the system works now is is far more secure than ever before, and the argument that the Republicans are making now that we need more election security is the problem because they're trying to make it so secure that it disenfranchises large parts of the population. And so you can argue that H.R. 1's goal is to take away some of those mechanisms by allowing same-day voting registration, um, by, uh, uh, you know, getting rid of the purges, getting rid of the, the, the... the, place where sh- the places where it is documented by Republican um, operatives. The, the, you remember, the, we did an article in the voter fraud uh, episode about the guy who died and his, girl, his, his daughter turned his hard drive over and it basically was like, here's how we can keep the blacks from not voting. <laughs> you know, that, those, what H.R. 1 is meant to do is to stop those efforts. And a lot mm-hmm. of that, Reinhold, to your point, happens at the registration level. But to say that the system is fundamentally not working or insecure is just not accurate and does not bear out in reality when you actually go and participate in the system and see it for itself. It's a that's a gut take that doesn't match what the what the, is happening in the real world in the clerk's office.
4: I mean, I'm not saying that it, it doesn't work at all or it's completely broken. I'm just saying there are problems that need fixed, and there's there's got to be ways to solve that. I don't think a top-down federal dictate is going to fix that, obviously. Um, what I would like to see, if the federal government is concerned about this, that they should put out a, a statement saying, this, these are our recommendations on how you should run. We will, we will help you get there if you want to achieve this. But they can't tell the states that they have to
0: do it. The they Brennan a law. The Brennan Center has been incredibly effective at going into multiple states across the country, if not all 50 states, and articulating what a healthy voting system looks like and lobbying legislators of both parties to enact legislation like bipartisan redistricting commissions that are not, like redistricting, part of H.R. 1 is a, you know, they're saying your redistricting commission has to be anyone but the politicians that serve to benefit. And I 100% totally agree with that. That idea is in this bill. But that idea is in this bill because of voluntary private groups persuading politicians across the country and building a grass movement. The thing that people always have to remember about legislation is that the idea is not novel and unique to the politician. It's because some person built a grassroots organization outside of government and persuaded these following little pussy politicians to enact it into law so they can get those votes. So that's all HR1 is. So all the stuff that you see in this bill is already out there in in terms of persuasion and, and the Brennan Center has been beating that drum for years trying to get these redistricting commissions. Um so what do you say to somebody who's on the left, Reinhold, if you don't believe that the federal government ought to be the counterweight here? What do you say to the progressive in Wyoming, who ha, or or let's say Arizona, Pennsylvania, and Georgia, who now are trying to rig their elections in favor of the the minorities, Republicans, rig the favor in in favor of minorities, aka the Republicans, um, in those states because that's their only way to compete. So they're trying to steal elections. So it's it's H.R. one is justice. It is restoring majoritarianism to to this process because the Republicans are trying to to rig it in their favor. Shouldn't the federal government? Let me clarify. Shouldn't the federal government play a role in uh, producing justice in these areas?
4: You have to define what justice means at that point. So. Do they have a role in telling a state how to run their election? No. Do they have a, a role in telling the state that if they run their election, however they choose to run their election, they have to do it equitably and and not violating anybody's rights? Yes, they can do that. This bill doesn't necessarily do that in all its cases. Like, There's some, some things in here that I think are good. I think the redistricting thing is very important, and I want to see that implemented. Um, but you also have to give the states the leeway to to determine if they want to have felons to vote or if they don't want to have felons to vote. I think every felon, once you've anybody who's paid their debt to society, should have is is has paid their debt to society. They should come back to be a full citizen again. You it, shouldn't be limiting their rights in any way. And
0: by the way, in but, Florida, Florida, which is razor thin fifty fifty in the presidential race, gave felons the right to vote. I think last year in in like a sixty percent of the population voted for that. So mm-hmm. our our, that, yeah, our democratic our democratic friends point. got one for uh, democracy gave one to our democratic friends right so the states but, but that's what I would say to the liberals
4: though is that in these states where you're in the majority but you're losing elections you need to do a better job you need to get your people motivated you need to get a better message that focuses on that before you start worrying about all of the other things that you you're you're going off on these tangents on right so. A lot a lot of these – a lot of the Democrats in, in some of these states are just – are doing what the Republicans are doing with the cancel culture and the Dr. Seuss thing. They're focusing on Defund things the that really don't matter. They yeah. need to reshore up how their state is being run and how the representatives are being chosen and how they get their message out
2: and
4: to I, all the people to take care of that.
0: And I would and, say and, and, that this bill is extremely popular. It's like sixty, seventy percent approval rating in, in the public at large, with really high approval ratings in Democrats. Like, it's it, there's a lot about this but that is popular. It down, break it down
4: by state, though. Right. How many states in really um, probably in the South and the upper mid upper West? How many of those states would be against it? Sixty percent against it, right? So when you say, oh, the country's for it because it's 60% popularity for it. But regionally, I'm sure there are states that are not for it.
0: But here's the nagging, and this has always been the argument from the left about the state's rights issue, the state's rights argument on anything. You're tacitly arguing for the disenfranchisement of blacks specifically, because that is the historical track record of, oh, I'll let the states handle it.
4: Right. But like I said before, the federal has a role there to make sure that if they implement something in their state, that 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 law, that rule, that way of running the the, uh, elections are not done in a way that disfranchises anybody, that violates their rights in any way. And there are a lot of states are doing those sorts of things even today. And those that's where the federal government has the right to come in and say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that but they can't come in and say, you have to do it all this way.
0: Yeah, They're and I, I'd also argue yeah. back to that person. Stacey Abrams rode Georgia blue on the back of Kemp Kemp's voter disenfranchisement. I mean, it, it became such a volatile issue in Georgia after his shenanigans that they turned the state blue. And so in an era where right like this isn't this isn't a a hegemonic media environment anymore and you now have the ability to take an injustice and correct that injustice in a in a in an era where um you know black lives matter signs are in in uh butler tarkington area here in indianapolis the wealthiest whitest area of the city right like so The culture is changing, which is partly why the conservatives are losing their mind, because it is changing and they know they're losing. Uh, And Stacey Abrams is a great example of if if they go too far, you can then organize around that and punish them and elect Joe Biden and two Democratic senators in in a state that nobody ever thought would be anything but deep red. Mm -hmm. Same in North Carolina, Arizona virginia these are supposed to be texas these are supposed to be deep red states and the republicans go too far and it backfires on them and and it ends up going back and that's the argument i always make to republicans too stop freaking out the democrats will always go too far and do something too extreme and then you'll be back in power in five years like Mm -hmm. everybody chill that's how how this bipartisan system works here um Okay, so let's talk about some other things. I know we have not completely fleshed that out, but maybe we will by the end of the program here. But here are some other things that are in the bill. It contains a non-binding provision that expresses Democrat support for D.C. statehood, basically saying that uh, they have, those 700,000 Americans should be granted uh, the right to, to have uh, full congressional voting. The bill would establish new rules and prohibitions on presidential transition teams and inaugural committees capping the amount of money that can be donated to inaugural committees, banning corporations and unions from giving to inaugural committees. Donald Trump raised tens and tens and tens of millions of dollars on all that and profited handsomely from it, as many uh, other presidents have. Um, well, they didn't profit personally. Their party did, but I'm sure Trump got a, a, a cut somewhere. Um uh, pers- a person with a personal financial conflict of interest cannot work on a presidential transition team. It would allow certain expenses like personal health insurance and child care to be campaign expenditures. Let me say, let me speak in favor of this because this is not a state's, this is uh, fe- for federal candidates because the federal government can set the rules for their federal candidates. It cannot be understated how hard it is to run for office in any party at any level you have no idea how hard it is and how much of a sacrifice it truly is until you've done it or you've been a part of it i've run a 100 campaigns over the course of my career and every one of those candidates had stress in their family and their their marriage they you know and a big reason that that exists is that if let's say harry were going to run for office harry's at a Town hall, a candidate meeting, a dinner, seven nights a week, gone all day, works works in the morning, then goes out and campaigns, knocks on doors. Well, Harry's got a child. Who's watching that child? The spouse. Who's really pissed off that they're trapped in their house all the time with their child and they're not getting any help from their spouse? Harry's wife. <laughs> and so... You know, if you had the ability to uh, pay for health insurance because oftentimes candidates that run for office have to quit their jobs or they lose their jobs because of inattention because they're so busy running. They lose their insurance. Um, You know, it just it carving out this provision. If campaign funds can be used for buying suits and other personal expenditures related to the campaign, this seems to make total sense to me and and i don't get why you wouldn't allow for that because if if a parent if a child goes without child care because a parent is working on the campaign then the babysitter ought to be paid and and let me tell you when you run for office you are financially destitute by the end of that campaign it doesn't matter what party you're in you are really 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 broke um unless you're running as like a libertarian paper candidate that just never bought anything more than $500 worth of business cards, right? So um you you know, you run a consulting business and you run for office, you have no clients by the end of that often. So you know, it's it's a really hard financial proposition and and carving out more expenditures for child care and health insurance is expensive. So this is actually something I'm in favor of. I think that would help mm-hmm. That would possibly help recruit better candidates for Congress and Senate, uh, specifically Congress, because the financial burden isn't as great, which is a huge consideration. We all want to sit here and think that congressmen and women are super wealthy and they all make a bunch of money and that's just not the case. There's a reason that most of these Congress critters live in their uh, you know their offices. Because the, the financial realities of being a congressperson, having two houses, flying back and forth twice, two, three times a week, um, it's very, very tight. So um, n- none of that jives with the, the populist notion of the swamp, but those are the realities. Um, cool. it, it would allow states to start pre-registering minors 16 or over to vote. The bill would make it a crime for people who, within 60 days of an election, provide false information to voters on the intention of misleading them or preventing them from voting. So essentially, what keeps happening is Republican campaigns send out flyers to black areas and say, uh, your polling place has been moved to here and create a bunch of confusion. And this is well documented. It happens every cycle, but it happened a lot this last time. And they send it out to Democratic voters in their district to try to suppress the Democratic vote, and it would make that a crime, of which it is not now. Um, The bill would impose – which I'm for. That's fraud. It's total fraud. It's it's libertarianism. It doesn't matter what – if you're committing fraud, there ought to be a law against it. The bill would impose new limits on the political spending of companies with at least 5% foreign government owner or companies with at least 20% foreign national owners um they passed this bill on uh 3-3 of this week so three days ago Uh, it's likely to hit a roadblock in the senate now here's where it's politically interesting and why they're pushing this not now not only is electoral reform is hot in every party right libertarians it's all we talk about because we get disenfranchised from all the time from being on the ballot right we have to fight for ballot access like crazy Mm -hmm. um and then you have the republicans and the big lie of the election was stolen from donald trump and then on the and then on the left you've got the disenfranchised the constant stories of disenfranchisement and now republicans want to use the big lie to to basically disenfranchise more and so Uh, this is a big topic, right? So you pick this. And why did they pick this? Okay, so there's there's a couple different reasons. So Sarbanes says, it'll start to come into focus when we hear this quote from Sarbanes, the author of the bill. If Mitch McConnell is not willing to provide 10 Republicans to support this landmark reform, I think Democrats are going to step back and reevaluate the situation. There's um, all manner of ways you could redesign the filibuster so the bill would have a path forward. One path that is being discussed is partially amending the Senate filibuster rules to allow democracy reform like H.R. 1 to advance a simple majority vote and therefore potentially be able to pass on a party-line vote. Um, Senator Joe Manchin does not support blowing up the filibuster in any way, But could he be uh, talked into supporting amending the filibuster? Uh, Amy Klobuchar, the chair of the Senate Rules Committee, which will mark up the bill and move it forward, said she wants to bring the bill to the floor and see what the support for it is before she moves on the potential filibuster reform. We go to the floor, and that's where we see. uh, She would get rid of the filibuster. I have favored filibuster reform for a long time, and now especially for this critical election bill. We have a raw exercise of political power going on where people are making it harder to vote, and you can't just let it happen in a democracy because of some old rules in the Senate. Uh, we had an insurrection at the Capitol with rioters who were trying to literally dismantle our democracy. The fundamental issue is do we get to vote or not, or are we going to make it easy for them to vote, or are we going to put up barriers to make it impossible? So a big part of this is trying to set the stage for blowing up the filibuster or at least amending it. This week, Democrats are using budget reconciliation to pass Biden's COVID stimulus bill with 51 votes, and there's a good chance they'll do the same for Biden's infrastructure plan. Democrats can only use budget reconciliation twice, and it can be only used for things that directly impact the federal budget. Voting rights and anti-corruption measures don't fall into that category, but they do have a few options at their disposal. They could end the filibuster outright with a simple majority vote with Kamala Harris breaking the tie, even though Manchin said he will never, never vote to end the filibuster. Um, This could abolish the filibuster only. They could abolish the filibuster for only election-related bills that are, quote, critical for democracy, end quote. They could also force Republicans to speak continuously on the Senate floor to sustain a filibuster, which I'm all for. I love. I loved the drama when Rand Paul did it. Don't get rid of the filibuster. Change it so that you have to speak like Rand Paul did. Or, I mean, if you're going to filibuster, you got to speak continuously from the floor. Another option.
3: yeah. yeah. You can't just say I'm doing a filibuster, then go to Cancun. No one likes it. It's
0: like this. Listen, this asshole from Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, who made them read the entire bill on the floor, uh, Which, listen, I'm all for, 100%. Every bill on the Senate and the House needs to be read in full on the floor. Every bill, right? I'm all for it. They start the reading of it. Every senator gets up, walks out, and turns around and walks out, including Ron Johnson. So now you've just punished the clerks that have to read this thing for 13 hours, And it didn't – it just delayed it for no reason whatsoever. Like that's the the ridiculousness of Republican politicians right now just being obtusely obstructionist for no reason. Like there's no higher purpose than just I'm going to be an asshole to them because I can. Like don't punish the clerks. Don't punish the dude that's making $40,000 a year to sit there and read some dumb bill. Every senator needs to sit in there and listen to what they're about to pass. Pl- plain and simple period
4: charging of sergeant of arms should have made them stay in there too that's
0: right mm-hmm. i yeah. if that's not then i'm bring the bring the protesters back bring the um, insurrectionists line them with their guns and their bombs make them all sit and listen that's that's if we have no recourse with the sergeant of arms i will call on the three percenters
3: yeah uh, figuratively and full disclosure i did not know they all left the room yeah i did not know that I because know they're that. all yeah, punk
0: ass bitches They are (laughs) punk-ass bitches. Every single one of them, even Rand Paul. Yeah, (laughs) fuck these people. I hate politicians so much. Um, Another option is to lower the threshold for passing filibuster bills from 60 to 55 votes. Um, So, this is basically a way to set up an action on the filibuster to start changing things. Um, I'm like, I go back and forth on the filibuster thing. Like, I I like the compromise of you've got to you've got to talk continuously. Mm-hmm. You can't just filibuster and walk out the room. Um, it's clearly a problem for, on on both sides that that stalls. You know, it's like if you want to if you were, I, I don't know that Rand Paul has ever actually passed legislation. I don't know if he's ever gotten a law signed. But if he were to 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 author a bill that got support to you know, and they had fifty four in the Senate, and we got through abolishing the ATF, the, uh, you know, and all these alphabet agencies and then it gets hit with the filibuster. Well, that's bullshit. You know, it's just not bullshit when it's, oh, I don't want this COVID relief stimulus package, the filibuster, uh, you know, so it's, it's, I don't know. Uh, all right. So support for the bill, like I said, is very high. Um, 67% of American voters supported the bill, 77% of Democrats, 68% of independents at 56 Percent of republicans it's supported by the leadership conference on civil and human rights which includes the AFL-CIO, common cause naacp sierra club center for constitutional rights it's supported by the league of women voters the brennan center for justice and the league of conservation voters um, jen saki says the president remains committed to uh, she's the white house press secretary The president remains committed to protecting the fundamental right to vote and making it easy for all eligible Americans to vote. That is why we need to pass reforms like H.R. 1 and Restore the Voting Rights Act. Um, John Sarbanes says, Much of what H.R. 1 is trying to do is to restore the majority rule in America. We've seen an effort of narrow participation in the political arena through Mm -hmm. voter suppression, partisan gerrymandering, and the use of dark money. You put that together and that creates minority rule in America, which produces a lot of anger and frustration that makes it easier for extreme elements to access the political space without accountability. Now, Adam Jettleson, who was a one time staffer for Senator Harry Reid wrote in the 87 years between the end of Reconstruction and 1964, the only bills that were stopped by the filibuster were civil rights bills. Abolishing the filibuster to pass H.R. One would be poetic justice. You would be ending the filibuster on an issue of civil rights. Uh, Backers of the bill say the six to one small donor match program is the antidote to getting big money and corporate interest out of elections and to allow candidates to focus on garnering support from their neighbors rather than catering to high dollar donor fundraisers and special interests. Um, Yeah. So if you watch the swamp on, which I highly recommend if you have HBO max, watch the swamp. It's got Thomas Massey and Matt Gates, Matt Gates comes off as a likable human being and not a weird, awful lizard person in it. And uh, Thomas Massey comes off like a lonely nerd. It's very, it's very good. But basically, your whole job as a congressman is to raise money, to walk across the street and to call big don- donors, corporations, get them to give you money. And that's your whole job. You know, Massey doesn't like doing it. And so when he, uh, <laughs> when he opposed the president one time he got a primary opponent and then he had to start doing it and one is his primary but it was close um so yeah i mean the there's here's the thing about um campaign finance reform what we're doing is not working (laughs) the way that it is set (laughs) up now is horrible and terrible and you always have to remember that the people we're talking about have monopolized violence against us and it's very important that we pick the right people that have control over you and the person who can fundraise the best doesn't seem to be the best way to pick these people and doesn't seem to be an incentive for the best people if there are such a thing. Um, We here believe in Hayek's uh, knowledge problem is that there is no person or set of people that can accurately predict or legislate the price system and the free market is the best way to do that, but there's also the issue of free speech. If if you are limiting campaign contributions, you're limiting you're limiting speech in effect, and so you, that, that's the trade-off here. That's the tension, right? So, right.
3: go ahead, Harry. I was going to say, and the thing with it is, like, they get so mad at the way super PACs act and donate things, to, but will still allow the unions to go ahead and donate. And if you don't think unions have the power, just watch how teachers bullied their way yeah. up to the front of the line for the COVID vaccine. And you know? still threatening to keep schools shut down. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like, how do you bully yourself up there? I'd rather give it to the person working at the local Kroger Meyer who's been That's checking thank people you. out all right. the time.
0: Listen, I get a bad rap.
3: As a person who doesn't like teachers, I'm dating a teacher.
0: I'm going to marry this teacher uh, i I don't dislike teachers at all. I hate teachers' unions because teachers' unions keep the current system that is not working for our kids it, it, it it's totally intractable because of teachers' unions, and they lie to their to their teachers and tell them what is not in their best interests. But is in the teachers' un- union. They get them all whipped up, fighting all measures of reforms that benefit mm-hmm. teachers. The more school choice there is, the more jobs there are, the higher the pay. Like, mm-hmm. So teachers' unions – so I don't – when I say this, I don't want teachers to be offended because, like I said, I'm very pro-teacher, especially one. If I'm giving the vaccine, if I'm choosing who gets the vaccine first, it's not teachers. It's the people that have been in the grocery stores and the gas stations and the essential jobs, the restaurants that have been on the front lines making a living because their wage is not guaranteed. And they've, they've done yeoman's work in, in a time when last March was very scary for most people especially these people who didn't know how bad this might be, and yet they had to go to work to feed their family. So why not give them the vaccine first? Because they're still out there talking to hundreds more people a day than a teacher is. When teachers face very little risk, my girlfriend, like I said, teaches at a Christian school. Rand Paul was totally right to use the example of Christian schools in Kentucky. You know, this Christian school has had... What a one week shutdown because of COVID it late last year and it was right before a break. So they just gave everybody an extra week of break because it started to, to balloon. Nobody's died. There have been a few cases of teachers, a few cases of students, but they have operated since last fall totally normally with the exception of like everybody wears masks. There's distancing. They've, they've spread out a little bit. They've done a few things differently Like, Look to these Christian schools to see what is and what is not working because they've already figured it out. Mm -hmm. Teachers sitting at home for the next five years teaching online is not going to work. It's not working for Democrats. It's not going to work for Republicans. It's not going to work for Libertarians and Independents. It's, you know, offer hybrid, right? If you are an at-risk teacher who is not comfortable and there are parents and students who are not comfortable going back, Offer some online instruction as a hybrid, and most people are gonna choose to go back because they have to get back to their real life like this isn't April anymore, and pretending that it's April still is ludicrous i mean i've I've lived my life fairly normally since last June, and I still forget that there are people that are terrified of it, you know like and and that are like I had talked to one person yesterday, and she just was like, "Oh my God, you had it are you okay I'm so ter- like I felt I felt genuinely bad because I triggered her because I was like, like, I, I'm I'm sorry, your kids are going to be OK. <laughs> like it just was it was a reminder because I'm in Indiana where nobody wears masks and and has, you know, unless they're going inside somewhere. It's very different, the culture here than it is in, in California or Pennsylvania or, or New York. So um, anyways, that's my rant about teachers unions. Thank you, Harry. But you're right. There's no way to say this uh, in a tweet that comes across as as dismissive of teachers, but those frontline workers that that really busted their ass, they should be at the front of the line. You know, right. at, once we get to the fifty cutoff, start giving those people those
3: those doses. So correct, and those frontline workers get the crap at all the time. Like it, and it yeah. stops you people at home from freaking out. You know, the massive yep. snow that you guys are going to the store getting milk and bread for. The, those frontline workers at the grocery store and getting at gas stations, they're there dealing with your crap every winter, every freaking time. They have to deal with your crap and they can't get it first. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Reinhold, would you like to object?
4: No, I was going to agree and say, think about the delivery workers too. I mean, yeah. everybody isolated and wanted everything delivered. And now all these guys are working extra hard and interacting with you know a lot more people than they were before the COVID thing so they're even at higher risk at that point so they have to you know, like when i get a package from the ups guy or the fedex guy it's it's almost like okay you put the box down over there and back away then i'll come out and get it i mean they, they have to deal with that sort of thing too so this I mean, is i think
0: this is yeah. the um now i get why there's central planning to this and why there's a large, you're talking about an incomprehensible distribution that has never been done in history with a highly um, volatile needs frozen vaccine with millions, hundreds of millions of doses. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but it is a, to simplify it as an illustration, you, you see how central planning pits groups against each other. Instead of us making the choice because it's readily available, let me go get it, we're going, why should this interest group get it before this interest group? Right? So... Uh, and, and that's solely on the teachers unions because there, there haven't been many other groups that have been demanding that they must get it before they go back. And then there's some like Chicago saying, even if we get it, we might not go back. Well then fire them, fire them all do what Reagan did with the, the, the air traffic controllers and fire Mm -hmm. these people Hire new teachers. You know, like I'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to get into teaching or working in rural areas that aren't making as much as they might make in Chicago, fire them,
3: move on. Yep, just like CDL drivers, truck drivers too. If you're freaking truck driver, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's not that people don't care we, about teachers' health, it's that you're facing the same thing that the rest of us are facing. Correct. Right? Like this is a this is not like we're sending you into a uranium mine. Like yeah. you're fate you're you're going into a place that science says is somewhat better than a grocery store clerk because yeah. kids don't transmit it as much. It's just Wild to me. We're gonna do a whole episode on COVID, but it's just I yeah. these are my pent up thoughts
3: on this. Yeah. All I'm just gonna say is yeah, shout out to the truck drivers also, you know, because it wasn't for them delivering product. It was like this place would have went Mad Max quick. Yeah. <laughs> it got really tense, I mean, there at the end of March. I mean, people yep. people
0: ramped up. Like you you know, I went and got I was like, All right, things are gonna get slammed, toilet papers running out, I better go to Meyer. I'll never forget that Friday night in Meyer. And just men shouting at men and fist fights at the Walmart south of me. Like, it just was really
3: crazy. People were wild. Uh, Round up. Man, yeah, I would have felt bad. You got beat up for toilet paper, and I'm sitting at home like a pallet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, again,
0: uh, uh, Mitch McConnell's against it, Trump's against it. All right. Sunshine's. Uh, the Wall Street Journal editorial board opposes the bill contending that it was designed to auto-enroll likely Democratic voters, enhance Democratic turnout with no concern for ballot integrity. And that's just not true, and this is an old trope from the right that if if you expand voting rights, more Democrats are going to vote, and Republicans will have a harder time winning, so therefore we need to suppress the vote and keep people from voting. What kind of argument is that? Like, we don't want them voting, and it's just, ugh. um, so, and there's, there's some, there's a study that leaps out in my mind that I could not find. Um, that if you look at election returns, like the amount of turnout and percentage and available voter, it's like it, nothing really ever changes. Mm-hmm. It's like, like you can add thirty it's like a poll, right, so like you can take a poll and you can get an accurate reading at three hundred people. Your best bet is a thousand people, but if you do a poll at like fifteen hundred people versus twenty thousand people, you're gonna get the same results and and voter turnout is kind of that same thing, like expanding voting rights is not going to to cause that it like oh, yeah. change your ideas and be better and less racist, and then maybe more people will like you Republicans. Um, don't cheat to stay racist (laughs) 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 idiots Uh, 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 uh Eric Peterson at Reason criticized the bill for its attack on free speech the legislation tackles a host of questions involving campaign finance political speech and online speech and its effect would all but silence citizens abilities to speak about and criticize politicians and their policies uh, in fact, the 40 pages of the bill borrowed from the Honest Ads Act would censor more online political speech than anything those working in big tech have dreamed up. Among those, host of new requirements contained in the legislation is government-compelled speech on paid political content or content created by employees. Um, essentially, the traditional online ads or even memes would require lengthy text disclosing what organization created the ad, These disclosures would have to include the sponsor's name and give means for the viewer to find the sponsor's street address, telephone number, and website URL, and say that the ad is not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. The legislation would require a public file, which is a database of all ads costing over $500 that are run by a particular digital ad provider. Now, Facebook and Twitter can handle that compliance, but everybody else can't, so... When Maryland passed a state version, newspapers filed a lawsuit explaining that these requirements were not only impossible to comply with but were unconstitutional as well. The courts agreed. Washington's own, Washington state's own version was so onerous that Google just stopped advertising in, in all of uh, political ads in the state together. Beyond the technical obligations and constitutional issues, the requirement that citizens hand over a large amount of personal information in order to speak their politics could have a chilling effect on free speech. Requiring this information impedes the ability of an individual or group to speak anonymously. So 100% co-sign all that. You know, the Federalist Papers were all anonymous. Should they have included a disclaimer that it was Andrew Hamilton?
3: Um... Go ahead. I'm just saying like, yeah, because we've just been shown in the past. They, you know, people have gone after people in corporations for who donated to different causes just because they didn't like them. So this is, yeah, it keeps people quiet. And here's kind of the frustrating part I have with this
4: bill is that why keep introducing parts of it that are blatantly unconstitutional? Because you're going to end up with problems when you if you do pass this thing that now it's going to go to the Supreme Court, it's going to get thrown out. Is the whole bill going to get out? Do they have have severability clauses? It's it's just a whole thing in order to try to make a, you know, they're trying to score a political point. Like there's there's a thing in there where you're talking about, um, well, we're going to do a a constitutional amendment to get rid of Citizens United. That's never going to fast. I mean, why why are we still talking about that? It's never going to become a constitutional amendment.
0: Which is what – so – the letter was led by uh, the, uh, 20 state Republican attorneys generals denounced uh, HR 1. Todd Rakita, in full disclosure, I know Todd. Todd appointed me to the Help America Vote Act Commission in 2009 as the Libertarian representative. Um, he was good to add the LP to that board for the first and last time. Um, and Rakita ha- was very good on a lot of election issues when he was Secretary of State including introducing, rethinking, redistricting, which took uh, AI-drawn maps and an independent commission instead of Republican legislature legislators. Mm-hmm. He couldn't run for Senate because that pissed them all off so bad, and he was trashed in all of their home districts because of it. <laughs> uh, and it took him a while to claw back. He's now Attorney General. He um, was an absolute embarrassment on the Trump election fraud, like he he just was being ridiculous. But he has a point on H.R. 1 um, in that the act would invert the constitutional structure, commandeer state resources, confuse and muddle election procedures, and erode faith in our elections and systems of government. Uh, they said in their letter it implicates the electors clause of the Constitution, which guarantees the state legislature the right to direct allotment of presidential electors and separately affords Congress only more, only the more limited power to determine the time of choosing the electors. The attorney generals argued that this exclusion division of power outlined in the Constitution differs markedly from the election clause. Uh, which says states and Congress have the power to regulate the time, place, and manner of congressional elections. So things like your you know, 10-day f- must-have federal uh, early voting and it must be open this long, that violates the Elector's Clause of the Constitution, and that will be tossed out. So why pass something that will be tossed out by the Supreme Court – well it's going yeah, I mean it's going to generate money for a lot of lawyers it's mm-hmm. going to give you a period of five to ten years before it finally reaches the Supreme Court um, as it travels through and so um so yes, in spirit, there's a lot of things in this bill that make some sense that are good, like but it's not the federal government's purview to do it, and excuse me. <laughs> Uh-oh. Sorry, my cat had a cold. Maybe I got it. Um, uh, so – and then there's other things that are just outright – like that's the, that's the hard part. Like if Congress and Democrats are going to try to solve things that I think are a problem, it's like, man, I kind of agree with some of this, but really all of this is bad, and the Republicans <laughs> aren't going to offer anything better, so – I don't know what I'm going to do. Um so yeah, I think there's there's some mixed results in this, the campaign finance stuff. Mm-hmm. We we need a better system, but uh limiting free speech is is hard. I I personally would love to see unlimited personal spending, but you completely remove the ability of any corporation or organization of people to 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 donate, right? So so that's already there though. That's already the law. Not at the
4: federal level. Only individuals can donate. You PACs can buy ads. That's what this right. whole thing is about. Right. You know, you're not donating directly to the candidate. You're doing a PAC that has an advertisement for the candidate, mm-hmm. and that's the dark money and the spending and everything else. Correct. Individuals are only people allowed to actually donate to candidates. Yep. Yeah. So absolutely. what you do is you end up Saying that the the people who have the most reach in advertising political advertising are the people who have all the money mm-hmm. if you if you don't let groups of people pool their money together to counter a Jeff Bezos or somebody like that mm. who could just buy tons of ads, you know i mean that's that's the whole argument that they're trying to that they're missing because they see money going to people who are their opponents and they don't like it, yeah. Right, so they want to try. They want to try to make it so that the right people donate the right amounts to the right candidates. Not,
0: not Rebecca Mercer. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. Uh, Okay. Final thoughts, quickly.
3: Well. The one thing that does scare me is also in this is some of the financing talk is talking about like the six to one for individual donors. That's how minority parties get boat raced when it comes to raising money. Um, if you want to know how you're not going to get money, that's a good way. If They really want to bring more fairness to the election. Well, if you're on the ballot, you get to be in the debate. Yeah. <laughs> you want to bring some more, you know, instantly more, more fairness overnight. But that won't happen. That's just, yeah. You know, this way is and just and if you want to see dark money getting funded to campaigns you're going to take money off of fees to the uh from companies that you get caught doing wrong things so this is almost just like corporations instead of having to donate to campaigns or to congress or lobby them they just offer to pay a sin tax to the church give them money so they can run on their campaigns with it's like it doesn't matter i got all of them in one hit and i'm not Donating, I got caught with a fine. Also, dark money. Harry's radio college DJ name, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's
0: my hmm? go ahead. No, no. Go ahead, finish. Yeah, sorry.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. And that's and, and, and why so I kept reading to this thing. It's just like I am coming up with easy ways to abuse this system, and I haven't like even like started. Like, wait till I get some whiskey in me. I'll we- I'll really find out how to like uh, abuse this system. But yeah. I'm done oh yeah this this whole
4: thing about individual spending it's like oh you can only take it from uh, like small amounts from individuals oh how many individuals are going to be created that they're just going to funnel the money through and make it look i mean people with money can do all sorts of things like that so but my my final thoughts on on this is that it's it's intended to solve some things some of the stuff is good some of the stuff's bad a lot of it's ill thought out some of it's unconstitutional um and one thing i wanted to bring up before we end is you said something about uh supporting the payment payments of uh federal elections there are no federal elections
0: yeah it's true you're right
4: so that's you know that's that's one thing i want to make sure we're we're clear on because you know i was I like, read there... need to do
0: stuff There are no federal elections, but I mean federal candidates. So, like, one of the proposals in here is increased enforcement at the FEC level, which the FEC is a joke, right? So if you are a third-party candidate and you get an FEC investigation, which is nearly impossible, to get any, like, when you hear in the news that the FEC is investigating X candidate, just write it off because nothing ever happens, nobody gets fined, no one's ever gone to prison, Like, if you were a third party, like, there's no, there's, like, it's the greatest federal agency because they don't do anything, right? Um, But, you know, there's some, uh, in this bill, some uh, active enforcement trying to, um, you know, gin up a little more enforcement. But it's, it's, like, you do get an FEC investigation as a third party candidate you're hosed because you don't have the ability to offset the cost of the lawyers that you need but the outcome really doesn't matter because nothing happens to you. you. can some people can go to jail, but it's very rare that the FEC actually investigates anything. It's sort of like if you really look into the USDA, they don't do anything either. It's like people it's it's like people go, "Oh, I'm so glad that there's regulations for the electric grid and for for cows." It's like these people aren't regulating anything. They're just getting in the way and churning money for lawyers. That's all these alphabet agencies do. Is there a waste of time and and the trade offs are not worth it so anyways yeah. continue and the funny
4: part about the fec is that they couldn't do anything anyway for the past several years because there weren't enough people on the board right trump wouldn't appoint anybody so nice. they had no they had no ability to reach a quorum to decide to do anything so oh we can just get away with whatever we want to get away with at that point you know you don't have to worry about it so
0: All right, guys. Well, it's been great. Thank you all for joining us here at We Are Libertarians. We will see you again next Saturday.